0: Well, with the age of the smartphone, if you have a smartphone, then anybody can have you at any time. And sometimes they have you in suspense because, you know, there's that that moment when you're getting a text, you know there's a message, and all you see are the dots, right? You've been there in that place where you're just, you know there's a message coming, but you just gets a little dot bubble, right? You're sitting there going, what's taking them so long, right? What's going on? I mean, you know, cat got your thumbs? You know, I mean, that's that kind of thing. It's like, what's happening? You know there's a message in this, but you're waiting in suspense. This is a series where we're looking at insight through hindsight, where we understand that life is lived forwards but understood backwards. And there are times when circumstances keep us in suspense. We know there's a message in what's going on around us. We know that that God is always at work in our lives. We trust that in all things, he's able to work to the good. But there we are with the dots, waiting, wondering, We're in a book, which is one of the most ancient books, stories of all time, the book of Job. And two thirds of this book have to do with three miserable comforters of Job who have difficulty waiting with the dots. They rush in. They, they want answers. They're trying to bring to Job some sort of resolution. What we're going to see this morning from Job 22 is one of those three friends, Eliphaz, who has difficulty waiting on hope. From the Word of God, Job chapter 22. Follow, follow along with me on the screens or open your Bibles to Job 22. We'll start at verse 4 and at verse 21. Hear God's word this morning. Is it for your fear of him that he reproves you and enters into judgment with you? Is not your evil abundant? There's no end to your iniquities. By the way, with friends like this, Right? This is one of Job's comforters. For you have exacted pledges of your brothers for nothing and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have given no water to the weary to drink and you have withheld bread from the hungry. The man with power possessed the land. That's Job. And the favored man lived in it. That's Job. You have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless were crushed. Therefore, snares are all around you, and sudden terror overwhelms you, or darkness so that you cannot see, and a flood of water covers you. Is not God high in the heavens? See the highest stars, how lofty they are. But you say, what does God know? Can he judge through the deep darkness? Thick clouds veil him so that he does not see. And he walks on the vault of heaven. Will you keep to the old way that wicked men have trod? They were snatched away before their time. Their foundation was washed away. They said to God, depart from us. And what can the Almighty do to us? Yet he filled their houses with good things but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad. The innocent one mocks at them, saying, surely our adversaries are cut off. And what they have left, what they left, the fire has consumed. Agree with God and be at peace. Thereby, good will come to you. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let's pray. Father, bless us now through your word, not only to our minds that we may understand, but to our hearts that we may be open and receive, and through our lives that we may live. In Jesus' name, amen. A great poet named Alexander Pope said this, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. Fools rush in where angels fear fear to tread. That's Eliphaz. He's the fool who rushed in where angels fear to tread. He's unwilling to wait with the dots. He's unwilling to wait on the message, unwilling to wait through difficult circumstances, unwilling to wait. And sometimes we need to wait, be in a place of waiting so that we can find a greater hope. That's important to understand what hope is. Hope is a present assurance, an experience of assurance of a future promise. Hope is a present assurance, the experience of it, the experience of assurance now of a promise in a future that is to come. That's hope. Eliphaz, Eliphaz, not sit quietly in difficult circumstances with his friend eliphaz rushes in he's the fool who rushes in with blame with denial and with a quick fix i've just given you away the sermon right there this is where we're going to look through eliphaz's negative example and through job's contrasting example we see job waiting on hope when there's no one to blame, when there's no denying how you feel, and when there's no quick fix. Let's go there. First, Job waits through difficulty. He waits with the dots. He waits on the message. He waits on hope when there's no one to blame. He waits without blame. You can see in in verse 9, Eliphaz is blaming. He's finding someone to blame. Job. We understand that Job was beyond, above reproach. We understand that that his friends had incredible admiration for him. So what's going on when he's saying, you have sent widows away and you've crushed her, her offspring? Well, it's implied here that by being a landowner, that taking possession of the land, that somehow he must have done something to someone and didn't know it. This is the implication of what he's saying. You have become a great man. You've become someone who's, who owns. If, you know, wealth was measured in land during this time. If you owned land, you owned it. You owned the world. And so what he's saying is you might not know the people you've hurt. You might, not have in, you might have indirectly hurt them, not directly hurt them. But in taking possession of the land, you must have done something to somebody to deserve what has happened to you, the circumstances. So he's trying to, see, he's trying to balance accounts. He sees, he sees a man named Job, somebody he admires. He sees these awful, crushing circumstances. And so he's he's going over to the other side of the scale and he's saying, we have to balance this out. We have to blame something. So, Job, you must have done something wrong, right? It's like that the opposite of that sound of music. Somewhere in your youth or childhood, you must have done something bad, right? That's the way sometimes in a karmic you know, you've heard karma, like instant karma. You know, you curse somebody and all of a sudden you slip on a banana peel, right? That's that's a karmic worldview that balances accounts. It it goes tit for tat. It says that God is up there with knobs and and always looking for some some way to balance accounts that you've done something wrong and, and so he's gonna do something wrong to you. This is a worldview that is not biblical. But this is what Eliphaz has resorted to in order to make sense of what's going on. C. Everett Koop was the Surgeon General at one time when I was uh, when I was young, and um, he wrote a book after his son had died. His son died in a rock climbing accident. The name of the book. See if you understand what he's saying. The name of the book is "Sometimes Mountains Move." That's someone. who's waiting with the dots. That's someone who can't make sense of the circumstances, but waits. That's somebody who, who isn't just simply recognizing, well, he recognizes it's not a karmic universe, that God isn't up there just going tit for tat, that there isn't a banana peel waiting for you just because you said something wrong, that it's a fallen world. And sometimes we have to wait without answers that make, that make sense to our small brains. You know, I, I experienced this up close and personal. I've, I've alluded to this bus crash that I've been in. I've not told the story, and the full story. There's no time to tell the full story on a Sunday morning, but I'm gonna tell you a little bit about it because out of that bus crash was this tension that Eliphaz and Job are in together, this tension where there's this sense of, why did this happen? Why did God allow this to happen? How do we make sense of this? So we, we were, uh, I was in Texas as a youth pastor and uh, and I had a, a group of, of other churches, about a dozen of us, and we'd come together and we would do retreats. And we did winter retreats and we'd go to Colorado often on these winter retreats. We'd go skiing and we'd take We had probably 400 kids up there going skiing, all these different churches, and on the way back, there were, I don't know, four or five buses coming back through the mountains, and I was concerned about the weather, and we were keeping close watch on this, and this was a chartered bus company, they're professionals. This guy had taken hundreds of trips through these mountains, hundreds of trips. So we felt confident, and we got over what's called Monarch Pass, which is the high point, and we were almost all the way through the mountains, and uh, we hit a patch of ice. We were the third bus, but we hit a patch of ice that someone called a flash freeze. It just, there was this squall, this, this uh, water just hit the, the pavement and froze immediately uh, between bus two and bus three. And, um, and we were going 70 miles per hour and we tumbled down into a ravine almost 200 feet. Now, there were some funny moments in this. There were some very, very uh, grievous moments in it. But there were some funny moments. One quick funny moment was when uh, I was sitting right next to my friend, Les Davis, who was my volunteer extraordinaire. We were sitting there up front and uh, we saw that we were going to go over a cliff and we both put our feet up on the the little barrier in front of us. Like that was going to (laughs) help. And we both in that moment looked at each other and went, no, that's not going to (laughs) help. So, I mean, it's incredible what can happen within a 30 second span. Then there was the moment when I was just wondering, how do I get off this bus before it goes over the cliff? And then there's the moment where I realized, none of us is getting off this. And uh, I was concerned that the kids were all going to uh, not have the benefit at least of the seat in front of them. So we got everybody crouched down. When we tumbled, uh, the, the safety glass broke and it threw most of us onto it. And it was, um, I don't remember this, I'm I'm just guessing. Nobody really knows because everybody was really knocked out. But when that glass broke and the bus rolled, it left most of us to pretty much slide down into this ravine on snow. And there was nowhere else that this could have happened and we could have survived. Now, three people didn't survive. The people who did not slide down, the people who stayed on the bus uh, died. And so for the next year, we walked with these families through this grief and through all of these injuries. There was a pastor in town who had answers to all this, and it was very disruptive. He rushed in like Eliphaz, where angels fear to tread. We needed to spend a season with people just to wrestle and wait on hope, on a bigger hope. A hope that couldn't be constrained to our small reason. We needed to help people find a greater hope. And this pastor kept rushing in with answers. He kept rushing in to balance accounts he began to suggest, as Eliphaz suggests to Job, there must have been something that we weren't doing right as a church. There must have been something that somebody on that bus did wrong. Every now and then when something happens uh, in the news, something big happens, there's, some, uh, there's, there's someone who thinks they know why it happened and they're quick to speak up. Fools rush in or angels Fear to tread. You see, sometimes mountains move. And we have to sit and wait on hope, on the experience of God's presence. He doesn't always promise that everything's going to make sense, but he promises to bring his assuring presence in the midst of difficult circumstances. You see, you can have world-sized or brain-sized answers or you can have God-sized hope. Job waits in the tension. He waits and becomes open to a greater hope because he is not looking for someone to blame. Second, Job waits without denying how he feels. He has full permission to feel. He doesn't deny. He doesn't pretend it away. He's not stoic, stiff upper lip. That's the classic sort of, you know, northern European uh, idea that you know you just you're, you're supposed to just muscle through it, pretend away feelings. That it's reason. The Greeks really came up with the idea that that through reason you can just overpower your feelings and that this was somehow a virtue. No. Job does not deny how he feels. He doesn't deny it. As a result, it directs him, directs his complaints towards God and towards hope. Verse 12 and 13, Eliphaz is interpreting what Job has said earlier, but he gets it wrong. See, throughout chapter 19, Job is complaining. But he's complaining about the fact that he himself, Job himself, is in darkness. But the way Eliphaz characterizes it is as if Job is saying that God doesn't know what's going on, that God isn't aware, that God doesn't care. But what he does is reverse what Job is actually saying. And Job is just complaining that he himself feels like he's in the darkness. Now, why is it important that he does this? Well, Beth reminds me, my wife Beth reminds me every now and then that when somebody is upset with me, she says, Well, at least they brought it to you and not to everyone else. That's a great reminder. You know, when somebody comes to you and they're upset with you and they're standing face to face with you and they're bringing their complaint, that's a gift. I mean, you know, the easy thing is to go to everybody else and not come to you. It's very very difficult to, to bring a complaint to the person that you feel has done you wrong. Job brings his complaint to God and Eliphaz misses it. He misses it. Every now and then when, when uh, we're in a season where weddings are coming, you know, post-pandemic weddings are always coming now. It used to be June, you know, we'd have a season where we're ramping up for weddings and it was nice and tidy and everybody got married in June. Am I complaining? Yes. Uh, <laughs> now they just happen everywhere and anywhere and anytime. But when we're ramping up to a wedding, I love sitting with a couple and helping them to complain to each other. Yeah, it's important. You think complaining, you you have the connotation that complaining is is about nagging or, or, or whining. No, a complaint is just simply saying, this is how I feel. I'm not gonna pretend it away. I'm not gonna wait for some big explosion to let you know. I'm gonna let you know up front. And you know what happens? When they talk to each other in a certain way, and you can do this with your coworker, with your friends, with your brother, sister, whatever. When you listen, to their complaint. These comforters are not good listeners, are they? Eliphaz is not a good listener. But when you listen to somebody and you stay in their moment and you let them have a full turn, okay? A full turn, you're not just waiting to pounce, not just waiting to say, okay, now let me tell you what reality is, right? But waiting, it's amazing to see people discover themselves When you let them complain, when you let them, because underneath what they're thinking is how they feel and they're not always sure what it is. And it's so amazing to watch couples talking to each other in this way where they discover, where he helps her discover, hey, this is what I thought, but now I've just discovered why I think that way. They get under the waterline. And in fact, it gets to a place sometimes where if they linger in that moment, If they wait long enough, you can see a hope or you can see a fear that emerges and a greater sense of discovery and purpose begins to emerge. I've I've mentioned this quote to you a number of times. I'll I'll keep mentioning it because I think it's so important. C.S. Lewis says, we're not to pray what's supposed to be in us. Just pray what's in you. Don't pray what's supposed to be in you. Pray what's really there. Job prays what's there, doesn't pretend it away. And as a result, you begin to discover that he has great hope. He is in the midst of difficult circumstances, yet experiencing the presence of God, an assurance of his faith. And finally, Job waits without a quick fix. When everybody else is wanting to bring one, they want to turn the knobs, they want, to, they want to turn the wrench, they want to fix this thing, they want to tighten it up. Hope versus resolution. That's sometimes the choice that life brings us. Hope or resolution. Verse 21. Now, let's, this is where we back off of Eliphaz a little bit. We give them a little bit of a break because I think you, you're going to see here, what's, what's happening is Eliphaz loves Job, he really does. You think, love me a little less, right? If a friend like that, love me a little less, right? But he really does care for Job, really respects him. This is the guy, this is the guy everybody believed in. This is the guy that everybody admired, wanted to be like. Eliphaz wants him out of pain. So he rushes in with a quick fix. Verse 21, he's saying, submit to God, just be at peace, agree with him. What's he saying? He's saying, repent, repent, and thereby, back to the karmic or sort of the balancing of accounts worldview, just repent, and then God will begin to bless you again. Let me ask you this. You have places in your life where you've struggled. You can look back. It was very difficult, very difficult season, but you wouldn't trade it for anything. How important are those struggles? How much did you learn? How much did you grow? You wouldn't trade your struggles and yet when you see someone else struggling, don't you rush in to intervene? Don't you wanna short circuit it? Don't you wanna take away somebody else's pain? That's Eliphaz. He's wanting to fix it. He's wanting a quick fix. He's wanting to end the pain. There's a story about true story about a, a father and a daughter who are walking through the forest and they come upon a caterpillar in a chrysalis in a cocoon but beginning to emerge from the cocoon and one fabulous wing is already one beautiful colorful wing is already protruding but it's struggling pushing. The daughter says to the father, help it. Will you help it? The man takes out one of those little one of those little Swiss Army knives, you know, one of those little pocket knives that hook on your keychain and pulls out the scissors. And just at the bottom, just at the bottom of that cocoon, snips just to open it up a little bit and the butterfly, what would have been a butterfly? The caterpillar becoming butterfly slips out and dies. It's so important to struggle. In the caterpillar illustration, the wings develop, the strength develops. The ability to expand those wings, to let them dry out and fully form. Oh, God is always up to something in your struggle. Let's see, in the struggle, in the place of difficult circumstances when we don't have brain-sized answers, we don't have answers that the world can provide. We begin to see that we're made for bigger answers. We begin to see that we need something more than what the world can offer us bigger answers, bigger circumstances, a bigger hope. You see, faith is trust. And the best illustration that I've ever heard of for just a simple illustration for what faith looks like, it's, it's to shift your weight onto something else. Really trust it. Not just say, I believe that can hold me up, but to step onto it. Actually, let it hold your weight. That's faith. What's hope? Well, when you have shifted your weight, it's the strengthening of God's assurance in the present moment. And sometimes we need to be in difficult circumstances so that we can learn to step out and experience a God-sized hope, not a world-sized answer, not a present moment, understandable resolution. Chesterton said of Job, he said, Job was comforted with conundrums but he was comforted. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you for the times when we have waited, the times when we haven't rushed in to blame, we haven't rushed in to deny our feelings and ignore what you're doing in the moment of pain. And we haven't rushed in with a quick fix. We thank you because as we come to this table this morning, there is a mystery of your presence here. That, Lord, you have spoken hope all the way into flesh and blood. And so we ask this morning that you would set aside these common elements from their everyday purpose, to a sacred task that as we receive this bread and drink from this cup, we would experience a magnificent exchange of, your, of our sin for your own righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.